Welcome to Follow the Medical Record, where healthcare experts give insights into the increasing importance of following a patient's medical record through the health ecosystem with compliance, privacy, security, and efficiency front and center. This podcast is brought to you by MRO and hosted by Don Hardwick, Senior Vice President of Client Relations at MRO. Don has been in the health information management industry for over 40 years and has extensive knowledge of how medical records make their way through the healthcare ecosystem. At MRO, Don is responsible for strategic client engagement programs and overall client satisfaction. To hear from all of MRO's industry experts, be sure to visit MROCorp.com for additional content and to sign up for our monthly e-newsletter. Over to you, Don. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Follow the Medical Record. I'm your host, Don Hardwood. Thanks for listening in. You can learn more about MRO on our website at MROCORP.com and can connect with me on LinkedIn. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter at MROCORP. We have two well-known guests from the field of HIM on the show today, Rita Bowen and Angela Rose. Rita is MRO's Vice President of Privacy, Compliance, and HIM Policy and has many years of experience in the HIM space. She's an industry respected author, speaker, and past president of American Health Information Management Association, also known as the acronym AHIMA. We also have another one of MRO's industry experts, Angela Rose with us. Angela is the vice president of client success for MRO and is also a well-known in this uh, HIM community having over 25 years of experience. So welcome to the show, both of you. Thank you. Thank you. So let's get kind of into the conference that you're at. It's the HEMA conference annual, and it's uh, being held at um, in Ohio in, in Columbus. So Rita, let's start first of all by giving people uh, and kind of an overview of what HIM is about and what this conference is about. Well, the conference um, is our annual meeting and it's the, it's the Health Information Management Association. So it's anybody that's actually touching health information and taking that information for data and, and translating it for improvement in population health. It could be coders that are actually applying a code. Uh, it also includes privacy, security uh, professionals, and then the interoperability. There were some common themes for this um, uh, seminar that we were having our convention. This is one of the first ones we've had since COVID. So it's the first time we've been back. A lot of people all week have been saying, oh, it's so good to be back in the flesh. And I'm like, we've, we didn't lose our flesh. So <laughs> let's, let's say back in person. Um, so it was a hybrid conference this time. So there was in person and there will also be a virtual component because um, some people are still not comfortable with traveling. So it wasn't as big as some of our past conferences that we've had, but it was still pretty well attended and it was good to get back with colleagues and um, kind of get energized again. Uh, and then Dr. Harris in one of her, um, well her openings or session that she did today when she addressed the, the members really talked about what the goals are to uh, bring 
AHIMA and the HIM profession back to front and center and how we interconnect with so much of the ecosystem, you know, for uh, of health information, IT, uh, interoperability, artificial intelligence, the whole component. Um, so it was just really good to hear where their mind is and where they're, they're going to be taking the profession. So you talk about two primary themes that are here uh, as topics, general topics. Can you elaborate a little bit on those two? I'll be happy to because I follow the privacy tracks and the interoperability tracks exclusively um, for my time because that's where my focus is. A lot of on interoperability because we um, you know, just passed the October 5th date to the October 6th date for interoperability and, and you know, that was like, oh, what's going to happen? And a lot of people didn't see much happen, but you know, they came out and they've changed that to say that October 6th was the data liberation day. So it set the free, it set the information so they're liberated to share information. And really people aren't even saying information blocking anymore. It's information sharing. It's the access. It's really about getting that information to uh, in the right place at the right time. Kind of our old logo, you know, logo that we've had for uh, uh, MRO and, and really some information components, but to move it electronically when you can. Rita, do you think, and Angela, I'll open this up to you as well. Do you think that it, the shift, has there been any shift, I guess is the question, in privacy protection and the liberation of the information? How, how are we balancing? How is the organization balancing those good, two? That's a good question, uh, Don. In uh, one of the sessions that I was in, it was another uh, Sequoia Project um, member that was actually on the panel and so you know when they ask for questions of course I'm going to be first in line and the question I had was how do we move forward and still deal with data segmentation because the biggest issue we've had in the you know in the last several months is the outcome of the Dobbs case where you know with the Roe versus Wade and information now has to be more restricted and some states have actually already passed laws that that's going to really cause problems if we were trying to open up, you know, the interstate system, so to speak, for information to flow. So that's what I would take away as a number. What's your thought? Um, I think one of the, your question was around the privacy component. How to balance the, the, the providing that information and the liberation of it along with the well, privacy I, issue. I think what we have to remember, um, and I think Rita in your session um, yesterday, mm -hmm. she had said it. First thing Rita said was, remember, HIPAA is not going away. Like, it's still there. It's still the floor. Privacy re requirements, and not just HIPAA, there are other laws that still govern, you know, privacy <laughs> protection. So I think liberating, not liberating, wherever we're at with that, we have to remember that's still a core function and component, component that will never go away, and we are responsible for making sure it's, that the information is protected. It's really a balancing act, mm -hmm. and I think that if anything, to move forward, um, I know we had a, a notice of proposed rulemaking that was released. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we've had the opportunity to talk with uh, the new director for HHS. She was openly saying, I'll still take your comments. And, you know, that really shouldn't happen <laughs> once the comments. So it gave me a good sign that perhaps they may just say, let's scratch this and start over. Or take the best of components and maybe redo because what was proposed wouldn't meet the needs of today's environment. I agree. 
So I know both of you were speakers uh, at this conference. So Reed, I'll start with you, kind of give a highlight of what you talked about, okay. uh, the key points, and how that's been received in the uh, yeah, association. It was well received. Um, um, the proposal was that I would bring vendors to the table. So I used my colleagues from the Sequoia Project. So I had Steve Gravely, who is an attorney for uh, health equality. And um, then I also had um, a person from Epic and from Cerner, Cerner Oracle, to join me on the panel. And I really just set the panel up and then I let them talk, so to speak. But I knew that there was going to be a lot of questions uh, regarding, you know, what what's the solution? Because we've had people ask MRO, what's your solution? And I'm saying the solution's got to come from your EHR vendor. So I wanted to give that opportunity and a platform for Epic and Cerner since they're the main two for most of our customers and, and our members uh, here at AHIMA so that they could answer those questions. And the biggest takeaway from the panel after they presented and questions that were asked is that people are still having difficulty defining what EHI is. What's the electronic health information? They're, it's almost in a situation they forgot the roots again uh, for a designated record set. It's supposed to be anything that was used, you know, in the care of the patient that's not described or defined, you know, with a narrative in that report. So a lot of people were trying to say that this tracings have to be. If the tracing is described in that health record, it wouldn't have to be. That's your choice. But uh, so many of the people that were coming to the mic yesterday afternoon and talking about, or yesterday morning rather, uh, and talking about that were saying, well, our legal or our risk is you have to do this, you have to do this. So I think we're going to have to re-educate that community because they're, they're not understanding. Well, that brings up a good point, is the blocking piece of this, and I think that there's still some confusion, especially in the requester world, which our attorneys and insurance companies and anybody that needs that health information as to what that interpretation is of blocking. Can you explain a little bit sure. uh, in more detail where they are confused in this process? Well, um, part of part of the confusion is, is that some attorneys like to cherry pick their words out of any regulation. And so we see some that will say, well, the, in the interoperability rule on this page, it says this. And you have to respond back. Yes, it says that, but it also has an and, and it says, and you are the true patient representative. You are representing that patient in a healthcare decision. So, and it also only entitles the attorney, or if, if the patient has directed it to the attorney, to if they're wanting that electronic information to the EHI. So, prior to October the 6th, Attorneys would call and they'd argue with me and I said, okay, we'll have your patient go to the portal, have them download what they can and let them bring it to you and see if that works for you. And then they go, well, you know, that's not going to work. And I said, then why are you asking? <laughs> so it's, it was a constant debate in that arena. So I think we're still going to see that churn. And I think it's going to, we'll see an increase of attorneys pushing patients uh, to go get electronic access uh, and uh, have it sent. But that, ability to send out of a portal or what other access you may have really doesn't come into effect until December of 2023. Good point though because more and more facilities healthcare providers are providing a vehicle for patients to be able to get access to their right. records 24-7. may not be 
um, as extensive because some of the records are, as we all know, still in paper form or even in microfilm uh, form. So they may not be able to get access to their complete history, but certainly more and more facilities are opening up that access so the patients can get it. And for them to be able to take it to their attorney uh, is a step in the right direction in some cases. Right. And for, and for also providing for their own continuation of care uh, for follow-up. I think the, the, you know, the intent was that it was make the patient's information theirs and have them have the ability to use it for their own improvement of health care and so they can manage their health care. Let's face it, some people don't want to manage their health care. So and they don't even know how to read the record if they get it. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of education that has to go through this evolution and in, in almost like a revolution, you know, from that perspective. Um, so it's going to be interesting. It might be a new line of business. Could very well be. <laughs> so, Angela, I'll turn, uh, I'll turn to you. I know you were a speaker. Uh, as well, and I hear you you spoke to us a uh, sellout conference, con- you know, stadium. So yeah, <laughs> on this um, So if you would tell our listeners a little bit about what you spoke on and how it was received. Um, well, I spoke on a topic probably that you know resonates with all of us. Um, the pandemic has been almost two and a half years now um, of what it was before the pandemic, what it was during the pandemic, and what it looks like now. Um, My topic was virtual HIM departments, the good, the bad, and the funny. We did have some really funny stories. It was was good. Um, But really the reality of having to move your departments virtual, like in one day, right? Our country shut down. So then now we discussed, now you have um, for HIM departments that are not going back into the office anymore. Some that are hybrid, they've given up space and they've learned how to do things virtually that they never would have done before because I don't know, fear, privacy and security, but we were, they were forced to, um, as an industry, we were forced to, um, and it succeeded. Um, across the board in the session, I just actually came from the session, um, everybody saw increased productivity. Um, I think the one shock, not shocking, but the one story that I thought was really what tells, you know, kind of the theme of what the pandemic pushed us to do um, was to be innovative, think outside the box, be willing to take a risk. But really, is it a risk when we were forced to? (laughs) Um, But CDI. So there was one HIM director that shared that CDI, um, Clinical Documentation Improvement, is completely virtual and they have better results now than they did when they were on site. And, you know, that tells me something that, you know, we have to think forward now. We have to move forward. And the technologies, the automation, we talked about all that in the session. What they were, everything had to slow down. So they were forced to look at technologies and optimize them where they didn't have time before. So now it's working, right? So we're now we're in this virtual environment that is permanent. Um, and how are we going to always, you know, keep being innovative to find our efficiencies and keep our productivities? But most importantly, your employees, your workforce um, is happier. And they are. They are happier. I, I, and I, I think you're right. I think that just what's happened with COVID has cast a new way of doing business for every industry. Uh, can you do it uh, better, faster? 
less expensive uh, by having your workforce and happier workforce by being remote. Right. Um, and so I don't think it would have ever been challenged of having remote employees versus on-site employees had it not been for COVID. So uh, if there was a silver lining in there, that may be it. So uh, I, I want to turn to the uh, topics that you heard during the conference. So there's a whole slate of speakers talking about various topics that center around the medical record, um, how it's used, what it's used for, how it fits in improving patient care, privacy of the information, its role in clinical research, its role in the billing cycle, and for healthcare providers in general. So with so many demands on the medical record data itself and uses, what were the hot topics that y'all heard of during the conference? Well, I think I heard a lot about artificial intelligence. You know, that was a, a key topic. And of course, we had a physician address this in the general session yesterday. And, um, you know, she was really imploring that she wanted a partnership. Um, because, you know, physicians are still frustrated, too. You know, there's, it takes them forever to, you know, go through and do all these clicks. And I think she even said a number of clicks. Do you remember what she I said? But um, it, it's, it was basically all about the standpoint of what can we do to make the flow of information and the collection of that information. And that once you collect it once, you don't have to collect it again. And, you know, and she told the story, you know, how you know, the biggest complaint of patients is when they go from facility or they're in the same facility, they still have to answer the same questions, fill out the same forms. And that is kind of stupid. <laughs> so you'd think we'd be, a, you, know, you know, resolving some of those, but we're still a little bit behind the eight ball. So, you know, maybe, you know, the fact that we've got the staffing shortage now and, you know, the great resignation will make the standpoint of, innovation and moving forward with technology greater at a faster rate. Well, you said the great resignation, so that was in my session as well. Finding staffing, that was, that's definitely, that wasn't a session per se, but you could yeah, hear, hear all, it all, all of the members talking about the staffing shortages and finding good people and um, not just finding them, retaining them, right? Um, I think on top of your comment, Rita, about AI, I think just technology. I think the theme across the convention or the conference, everything about technology, automation, you know, finding efficiencies um, through technology from all the health information management functions, right? Release of information, coding, clinical documentation improvement, all of it. It was, I mean, that's what I think a lot of the sessions. There was a, another AI um, general session this morning. There was a panel talking about the benefits and the perils of AI, right? Um, and those are the challenges that, you know, AI, it can work, but it, it's a continuously learning, evolving, right? Um, so again, I think technology just overall, for sure. I see that technology is, you know, advancing in the healthcare industry because there is such demand for the data that's held in those documents. But I also see a, a little bit of a dichotomy between can we do this and provide data across the board where it's needed, you know, for continuation of care, but should we 
are we opening up Pandora's box that jeopardizes the privacy of that patient in any way? I think I, I don't think so. I think it's I think there's going to be a trust in the data, and that's going to be the biggest thing is when you start talking about information flowing out of one system and going into another system. So if you you know it, it should it's about the patient information. It is not this facility or this facility and it goes to the payer. There's information at the payer that's got loads of information that could come back to to if they're code, you know, coding that information, like the one codes for, you know, lab and everything that's been done about the money that can be saved. You know, and I guess maybe I'll look at it from the standpoint I'm I'm getting I could be a Medicare patient at this point. <laughs> you know, and if and then you don't want those funds to run out because some people have nothing but that. And so if you can have the ability to utilize the information and or even de-identify that information to improve population health, that was another big thing, you know, at this conference was population health. How do we take information, de-identify it so that it populates that we can see, okay, for this community, our biggest risk is this. How do we educate, you know, not I said employees, but patients? You know, I can tell you, I live in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Biggest issue there is diabetes and congestive heart failure because we love our bacon. So, you know, so there's people that are overweight, you know, because they cook with bacon fat, you know, with everything. But that's the biggest cause for readmissions. So how do you educate the public? That's mine. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, and I agree with that. I think um, we've been talking about interoperability and data exchange for decades. I think that I, I've seen, anyways, more movement in the last year or two than in the last two decades. Yeah. And it's, it's happening. You know, I remember, just remember when the EHRs were coming out, I'm like, yeah, I hope I, you know, I live to see it all come to fruition and here we are we are electronic health records and now it's the exchange of that data we've all of this data that is collected out there whether it's from the emr whether it's even typing transcription all the codes cdi all of this data is now getting automated it's all being put into electronic form what are we going to do with it how are we yeah, going to use it? Got to make it where it's shareable. Yeah. How are we going to move it? Yeah. Exactly. The standards. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. if anything, I would say, and I know Angela would agree mm -hmm. because we've said this forever from an Asia Mapish perspective, yeah. you needed standards first. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of put the cart before the horse. We should have had the standards and then push the interoperability. But we're doing it backwards because we couldn't go that way. So the environment's basically saying, hey, we're going to disincentivize you if you don't do this. We're still waiting to hear what those are going to be. The, the uh, penalties that have not been released in full at this point and won't be until, you know, we're looking probably first quarter of 2023 now. Mm -hmm. I don't think they'll, they were on the work plan to be released at this at the end of the year. But I talked to several people and they said it's probably going to be first quarter before the penalties are released. Any, uh, as we kind of bring the session to a close here, is there any last minute thoughts uh, that stood out? Um, I know we focused a lot on the privacy security piece, interoperability, data exchange. A couple of the other things that I saw that I'm not gonna dive into, um, clinical validation, but again, that goes back to the data. And patient ID. Yeah, patient ID and patient ID. Again, that goes back to the data, right? Um, and um, appeals appeals and the number of denials because of the volumes 
of you know audits that we've seen and this came up during my session as well that um i think um one of the speakers that i had spoken with was like i think the payers were bored during the pandemic and so they just decided to throw out all these requests and now we're now there's all of these audits so i think the appeals denials just the whole revenue that whole workflow um was a big was a topic too well that is certainly one of the uses of the medical record information that I spoke about just a minute ago, and that is how it fits in the whole claims management cycle from initial claim submission through audits and then through the denial yes. process. And it is literally the hub of all of the information that a hospital has. And, and it's the and finance, it's the yeah. blood. And HIM is feeling it. I mean, yeah. they are feeling it. I didn't attend any session mm -hmm. on that because that's not my wheelhouse. But mm -hmm the opportunity we have with our client advisory board we did hear almost everybody in the room talk that that's the pain point that's where and you know follow the money right that's where the money's at right so you have to follow the money yeah. i couldn't agree i couldn't agree more so i i want to thank uh uh rita you and angela for being on the show today it's uh it's very nice to have you guys you're very knowledgeable and so I want to uh, say thank you. Uh, for more insights on patients' medical record through the healthcare system, visit our show's page at MROCORP.com and be sure to explore our additional resources and thought leadership on our website. You can also check out our program on healthcarenowradio.com. Finally, be sure to connect with us on Twitter at MROCORP. Until we talk again, I'm your host, Don Hardwick.